The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Between the Hashes. Tony Pauline, I'm Cam Meller. Tony, how we doing? It is officially conference championship week. A taste of Friday night action and Saturday action full of some pretty interesting and exciting matchups. Okay, first I hope all of our viewers and listeners had a nice Thanksgiving. Hope everyone was able to spend it with their family or whoever they chose and uh, did whatever they do on Thanksgiving. Uh, some exciting games this past weekend that we'll go over to and you know, now the, the final stretch and, you know, many of those top four spots for the college football playoff hang in the balance for this weekend's game. It's very, very interesting weekend. Yeah, you can basically assume that one is locked up by Georgia and then it's the, from there, two, three, four, they still have to win their way to in. It's I, I can't remember a time in which we have three spots basically that are open at this list late of the game. Typically it's one or two and here we are. So it's uh, it makes for a lot of fun, interesting viewing a full you know, 24 hours worth of watching from Friday night all the way through Saturday night. So I'm particularly interested to see both Kenny Pickett and Sam Sam Hartman do battle in the ACC title game. That's a, just I've always had a – I went to an ACC school, so I'm ready for some ACC action uh, to, to crown a new champion other than Clemson or, for, or Florida State for the first time in a decade. Yeah, I, I don't think that, that game obviously has no national championship implications. I don't even think it's going to have many – much in the way of draft implications because Wake Forest doesn't have a strong defense. Uh, but it's going to be a fun game to watch. Yeah. I, I mean, it, this could be 52 to 49 or even 52 something. It's just, if you like offense on college football games, this is, that's the game to watch to cap your night with. So let's, uh, let's go back. And um, obviously, one of the matchups this weekend is the Big Ten championship game between, yes, Michigan and Iowa. Yes. Michigan defeating Ohio State in. I, you know, the score is not quite indicative to me how dominant Michigan was in that game. They ran over them, Hassan Haskins with five touchdowns. But the big storyline, obviously, we previewed it and we'll review it. But Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo off the edge against Nicholas Petit Ferrer and Dewan Jones. It was a, uh, it was an overall dominant performance from Michigan and those two specifically. Yeah, and I thought a bit of a disappointing performance from C.J. Stroud. I mean, I, I tweeted out Saturday, I saw many of the same mistakes from Ohio State that I saw at the game I was at against Oregon. When they lost to Oregon the first game of the year at home, I'm sorry, the first home game of the year was actually the second game of the year. I mean, the Michigan offensive line just pushed the Ohio State uh, defense up and down the field from the word go. First drive, they push them down the field, they score a touchdown. Second drive, they push them down the field, Ohio State's able to come up with a very timely interception. Late in the game, when they needed to stop, couldn't get it. Uh, I mean, like, like you said, Hassan Haskins, who was one of my risers this week, ran roughshod over the Ohio State defense, but it was in large part due to that Michigan offensive line just controlling, uh, surprisingly, that Ohio State defensive line that has been disappointing. They can, claim, they can complain all they want about the defensive calls and the defensive coordinator. That defensive line has underachieved this year. You know, you mentioned one of the, one of the things we talked about was the matchup between the Ohio State offensive tackles 
and the Michigan State pass rush and the Michigan pass rushers and the Michigan pass rushers came away the clear victors. I, I'm trying to get information as to whether Dewan Jones is going to enter the draft. The feeling I'm getting right now is 50-50. Maybe he's leaning towards staying, and he should stay because he's not ready. It wasn't just the fact that Dewan Jones was getting beat uh, night and day uh, by both the job and Aiden Hutchinson. It was the never-ending penalties. I mean, you could tell he was intimidated. Uh, Petit Frere also had a difficult day. Aiden Hutchinson, you know, played like we expected Aiden Hutchinson to. Ajabo keeps showing flashes of brilliance. I mean, it was a major, major victory for both the offensive line of Michigan as well as the defensive ends, the whole defensive line. And again, I was just not really impressed with C.J. Stroud. I know people love him. There were talk, there's talk about him uh, up until that game being in the in the candidacy for the Heisman Trophy. I've heard some people say, oh, you know, the Detroit Lions, I'm sure they wish that the NFL draft rules were changed so they could draft C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud's not a guy that really instills a lot of fear in me. It's not like you expect him to come up with a big play. Yes, he's much better in November than he was in September. And yes, he has more time. But he's not – just, there's just not that wow factor as there is with the next quarterback we'll talk about. I mean, you look at Jeremy Ruckert. Jeremy Ruckert, who was highly rated by NFL scouts, a guy you expected to have a big year, 23 receptions this year. He locks into one receiver. He doesn't use all his targets to their maximum, which I thought was part of the problem Saturday. Yeah, and even Chris Olave, the, the yeah. wide receiver one, the best, one of the best receivers in the country. Right. Obviously, there's also Garrett Wilson, but he's clearly locked into the guy who came in the class with him, Jackson Smith and Jibba, sure. and this is the guy who he looks at as his escape valve. Or not even that, it's just his number one target. And so you're wondering, where is Chris Olave? Where is Garrett Wilson? I know they both have, what, 17 and 12 touchdowns at this point. So they're they're not non-existent, but those numbers could be even much higher if he didn't lock into his his seemingly buddy in, in Smith and Jibba. So to me, we hadn't get to see him in against pressure, in pressured situations, and he's sort of wilted. Whereas you mentioned it, Bryce Young, and we can get to the, the Iron Bowl in a second here, but Bryce Young has been under pressure and – almost all season long because that Alabama offensive line has been disappointing. This Ohio State offensive line, when they get bullied at the point of attack, Oregon and now Michigan and Stroud sort of withers away and makes some errant throws, locks into the top receiver, and then they know who to cover. I mean, it's there's a way to beat C.J. Stroud in Ohio State right now, and we've seen the blueprint twice this season. But he doesn't even go to his check down receivers. I, I mean, they know who to cover. They cover the two, the, the, the two, the three receivers, really, or, or his top receiver. Again, Jeremy Rucker, 23 catches. I mean, Rucker was expected to have a big year. I don't think it's any it's anything due to himself. I think it's the fact that the quarterback, CJ Stroud, just doesn't look his way and target him. It's it's unfortunate. It's always interesting to watch how that happens and whether it's out of inside or out of side, out of someone's control. And so obviously there's still hope for those players for the future or when a quarterback change happens. So let's go down south, though. The other game, if you if you missed it, if you missed the end of the game, I you, I feel sorry for you, whatever yeah. you might have been doing, that, that 730 block in the East Coast. I don't know what you were doing, not watching this game. The Iron Bowl, Bryce Young, ice in his veins. Yeah. Alabama comes. I mean, that last drive, you can't ask the Auburn punter to do much more than what he did. Pins him back 96 yards away from the goal line. They have to score a touchdown. I mean, it was fourth and 10 at one point, and he's, it's, it's like it was the first throw of the game, first and 10, nothing to lose. I mean, this kid, is he's he's got it. And also Alabama, I mean, it was it was an awesome game. Another Iron Bowl for the ages. You know, 
Auburn played great for about 56, 57 minutes. But if you watch the end of that game, they just ran out of gas. I mean, their defensive linemen were standing around with their hands on their hips. They had no juice to get up the field. And the fact is, is they played incredible. It, it was almost like Georgia, Alabama, from what we've seen in the past, where Georgia plays great for the first 55, 56 minutes and just can't finish it out. That's what I saw Saturday. Evan Neal, everybody's favorite tackle. He struggled. I, I mean, Colby Wooden had 11 tackles, one tackle for loss, one sack. Derek Hall, three and a half tackles for loss, three sacks. Uh, but those guys were just gassed at the end of that game. Roger McCreary, the cornerback, played very well. But if you read my write-up Saturday before the game, I said the big question about Roger McCreary is he's smart, he's tough, he's got good ball skills, but speed is a question. And he was getting beat downfield a, a couple of times. And I think that's what scouts are going to have to evaluate as to determine where he fits in in the draft. Because when you look at it from a ball skill point of view, when you look at it from an instinct point of view, I mean, the guy grades out as a top 40 pick, maybe a top uh, first round pick, but it doesn't have that speed. And, and the Alabama receivers were able to exploit it. And then Bryce Young. Bryce Young to me is the opposite of C.J. Stroud. Bryce Young is one of those guys that, you know, if you are playing against Alabama, if you are rooting against Alabama and Alabama's got the ball, you know, all bets are off when the ball is in Bryce Young's hands. Because you said he's got ice to make, constantly comes up with the big play. There's constantly that threat of him doing something good, whether it's with those receivers, whether it's running the ball, whether it's uh, going to the tight end Billingsley. I mean, the game is never over, you know, when Alabama is within one score and Bryce Young's got the ball in his hands. Forget about C.J. Stroud. I mean, if I'm a Detroit Lion fan and I wanted the, the uh, draft the rules as far as eligibility for the draft to be changed, which they shouldn't be, I'm taking Bryce Young. It's it, it's been remarkable, and it's maybe maybe Stroud will get it. You know, I don't want to discount right. the kid, and maybe next right. year he'll get it. But Bryce Young has had that baked in, um, I, I guess, requisite factor to showcase he's been able to have this ice in his veins to put these numbers up against pressure to stand tall in the face of pressure. Unlike any quarterback in, in Alabama in recent, at least the Saban era, it feels like it's this offensive line is a complete below average unit from Saban. And so Young's had to showcase this so early on. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at Young to be not only the first overall pick next year, which it we're already, yes, of course, looking to 2023 NFL draft, because what else will we be doing? But also, I mean, the best quarterback in the, this is the Heisman winner next year. This is he's going to go into the offseason where all that's all we're going to do after the May hits college football comes back on the 2022 season it's it's Bryce Young's show next year and I mean the loss to Texas A&M it hurts a little bit but it's just he showcased what makes him such a special dude in that last drive but also I mean it was essentially all game he did nothing wrong in that game really maybe a couple of errant throws but I mean it was he's great and I just I can't sing the kids praises enough for being that young and that inexperienced this year to have to sort of grow in, in front of our eyes and the other thing is this you know what he may have been a terrible general manager he may have made some awful moves when he was in control uh, with the Texans. He may have been a guy that you didn't like, but Bill O'Brien is a tremendous quarterback coach. I mean, did it with Christian Hackenberg. I know that's an open wound for Jeff fans, but did it with Christian Hackenberg early in his Penn State career. You look what he's doing with Bryce Young now. I think the problem with Bill O'Brien is Bill O'Brien's going to want to be a head coach in the NFL, but he's much better suited as an offensive coordinator, uh, quarterback developer, uh, which he's – Phenomenal. I mean, he really is phenomenal. A lot of people liked his coaching abilities with the Texans. They said the problem was he took on too much with those general manager duties. But the fact is, is the guy knows how to coach quarterbacks. Yeah, it's uh, he, 
know your lane sort of and then excel at exactly. it. And that's if, if only, if only, obviously money is, is everything too. And in, in some of these situations, so I expect that to, to change, but Hey, Bryce, you learn from him while you can, cause it's, it's probably not that long lived. So I, it's a, that's a perfect transition to yeah. the next major topic of discussion, the off season coaching carousel that has been the craziest in my lifetime I, that I can remember at least the early signing day period, I think is probably, I don't think anybody's not enough people are talking about how the early signing day period of December 15th now where 95% of recruits signed their letters of intent last year or the year prior pre COVID that is expediting. In my opinion, they, you got to get a coach, you got to get him in now right away. Boom. You got to get your guy because you know, you can't wait. You can't have a month long process after the year is over. You got to get Lincoln Riley to USC. LSU's got to get Brian Kelly because they got to start recruiting for this December 15th date. And so we've seen quite the move, quite the uh, the shelling out of cash to a couple of head coaches now, the two big ones, Lincoln Riley to USC and Brian Kelly to Notre Dame, or from Notre Dame to LSU. There's also Napier to Florida, which I think a lot of people expected. Napier was either going to Florida or LSU, and I had heard uh, Sunday uh, it was likely Florida when I put the tweet out that we'll talk about later on. But the fact is this. If, if during our show last week, I sat here and I said, you know what? By this time next week, Lincoln Riley will be the head coach of USC. And Brian Kelly, despite the fact that Notre Dame may be in the college football playoff, is going to be named as the LSU head coach. You would have thought I was crazy. You know, you would have thought of like when I said that Mike McCagney was going to get fired right after the 2019 draft. So, but I, I mean, it was shocking. I mean, and you got to question the move. Why does Lincoln Riley go to USC? Why does Notre Dame hire, uh, why does LSU hire uh, Brian Kelly? Uh, To me, uh, I was really looking forward to seeing if Lincoln Kelly was still the quarterback kingmaker in the SEC that he's been in the Big 12. We're never going to find that out. As you said, money talks. I mean, a gazillion dollars, plus I believe they bought him two brand new houses to go to the Pac-12. Okay, I, I don't know that's, that's uh, uh, you know, it's almost like Dana Holgerson going from West Virginia to Houston. I, I don't know that it really serves uh, the purpose as far as, uh, you know, his resume. If you can build USC back up to the John Robinson, you know, the John, the John McKay era, even the Pete Carroll era, mm-hmm. although they had to vacate that title. I, I mean, you're going to be a, a lifelong hero in Hollywood. Uh, but from a football point of view, I mean, it's a step down in competition going from, a program that's headed towards the SEC to the Pac-12. LSU, listen, there's going to be a variety of opinions on Brian Kelly. People said he did a great job at Notre Dame. He got him to compete. I will agree with that. My my issue with Brian Kelly was he was never able to develop a quarterback at Notre Dame. That was always his downfall. He could never get that quarterback to take the next step, which is what prevented uh, Notre Dame from ever getting out of the first round of the college football playoffs. I thought it was a very questionable choice uh, by LSU. I'm wondering why Brian Kelly, except for what was it, $10 million a year, decided to go this route when it looks like Notre Dame's still in the college football playoffs. I mean, who knows what's going to happen uh, if they continue on. Um, it was shocking. I mean, it was, it was all very, very surprising, and there's still a couple of jobs open. Yeah, a couple of jobs open. I did like the underrated one of Kalen DeBauer. From Fresno State to Washington, yeah, I think exactly. he, he was destined for greatness. He had that one year under Tom Allen, 
at Indiana. Fresno State's become a, a very good program under him. And then let's watch out for Jake Hayner maybe following him. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. That, that was the shocking news. Hayner off of a, a huge year not entering the NFL draft, yeah. deciding that he's going to go to Washington and play one more year of college football. That was a big surprise. Back to Then we get to watch Sam Heward maybe possibly also leave the former five-star re- recruit, the son of Damon Heward, the nephew of Brock Heward. So, Two things. I, Lincoln Riley, if you look at what Clay Helton wanted to do, was his mantra was take back the West. Lincoln Riley's already recruited L.A., not even just the West, but L.A., Matter Day, Matter Day High School. I mean, he's got the five-star kid, the number two overall prospect on the composite, already decommitted from Oklahoma, likely obviously going to follow him. He's already got three people from L.A. that have decommitted from Oklahoma. He's already taken back the West, and if those kids sign their, their NLIs, he's already got a better recruiting class than Clay Helton ever did, not just in general, but also specifically from the area that Helton wanted to take back. So for me, it seems like he's, again, it's on paper. You can win on paper all you want in the offseason. They all, they all win. I don't think LSU won with Brian Kelly. We're going to see what kind of a coach Brian Kelly is. I mean, yeah. if you look at it last year, what was the toughest game on Notre Dame's schedule? It was uh, Cincinnati. They lose. Florida State at Florida State to open the year. Florida State next year plays LSU. That is their easiest game of the schedule next year. So to me, we're going to find out what quarterback or what kind of a coach he is. You mentioned it. I mean, Jack Cohn, Ian Book, he never really got a quarterback, never really had one. Let's see if he can – he's going to have to develop one in the SEC, especially that division, if he wants to uh, to win some games. So to me, if I'm a USC fan, I get I at least have some optimism. If I'm an LSU fan, I have a middling SEC West finish ahead of me for the next few years, in my opinion. So, And one thing, since we're on a topic – since we're talking about Oklahoma – Credit to Spencer Rattler. Going to transfer, going to play one more year of college football. I thought it was his only choice uh, rather than throw his hat into the NFL ring. He's not ready for the next level. Good for him. I hope it works out for him. Yep. It'll be interesting to see. There is so much talent out in the transfer portal right now, specifically at quarterbacks, but at almost every position. It seems like every time you flip on the social media realm or the 24-7 transfer tracker, uh, there's just five or six new players every hour that are entering. So a lot to be determined for next year, but we still have – some games ahead and we have the NFL draft ahead, the 2022 NFL draft. So let's get to some, some news. Uh, let's stay out of the FBS. Let's go to a guy who I guarantee you, everybody's going to start talking about. You probably guarantee the same thing. Once we hit the senior bowl workouts and off season circuit, Trevor Penning, the offensive tackle out of Northern Iowa. Well, if people watched our show for the past couple of months. They would've already been talking about Trevor Penning, just a little history of what I've reported on Trevor Penning on the show. I said back in, I believe late September, that people were saying Penning of Northern Iowa was going to be the first senior offensive tackle selected. Then a couple of weeks later, I raised some eyebrows when I said uh, there are some people who like Trevor Penning higher than Evan Neal and believe that he could be selected higher than Evan Neal. I'm not of that thought, but it's out there. There is still a lot of love for Trevor Penning out there. I spoke with a couple of league insiders this this, uh, week, and they said that they think that Trevor Penning is just going to rise through the draft process could be a potential top 20, if not top 15 pick. Now, they all agreed with me. A lot of Trevor Penning's draft status or draft grade will rely on how well he does at the Senior Bowl. His teammate Spencer Brown didn't do all that well last year at the Senior Bowl. He actually fell. But if if Trevor Penning goes to the uh, Senior Bowl and knocks it out of the park in those one-on-ones and looks as athletic as he's uh, advertised to be and and is basically as dominant as he's going to be, I mean, he's someone who – I don't think he's going to go before Evan Neal, but don't be surprised if Trevor Penning is the second offensive tackle selected in a 2022 NFL draft. 
I'm excited to see him in action because, you know, you don't Northern Iowa tapes, not the easiest thing to come across. You can find some games, but for the most part, if you if you're just a general scouting of every of him and everybody, you're just seeing the highlights. So I'm excited to see him in the, the nitty gritty, the everything going through all the motions and all the everything that goes into the senior bowl practices. So I'm it, I'm not just watching the hand fights and the battles one on ones. I'm watching everything else from how he aligns with everybody, how he gets along with everybody and how he you know takes him himself on during that so which i'm sure i'm not the only person that's looking at that so i'm tremendously excited to see him and see what happens also because we've been talking about him for so long and everybody else is going to start to catch up here sooner than later so uh, another player let's get to fbs virginia tech just hiring brent pry he comes back he leaves penn state's defense coordinator role head coach there at tech but for nfl draft news the james mitchell their tight end yeah, James Mitchell, uh, he, the new coach may be looking for a new tight end because uh, James Mitchell, I'm told, very, very likely, totally expected to enter the NFL draft. Now, a little history on James Mitchell. Terrific pass-catching tight end and an outstanding 2020 season. A lot of people were surprised, including myself, that he didn't enter the draft. There was chatter that he was going to enter the draft. But what I'm told was he had a minor knee uh, issue, a, a knee cleanup after the 2020 season. And one of the reasons he didn't enter the 2021 draft was he wouldn't have been ready. He wouldn't have been able to go through the draft, uh, the pre-draft process, the workouts, run the 40s, et cetera. So he decided to go back. He goes back. He plays two games this year, hurts his knee, has a season-ending knee surgery, has a decision to make. I'm told about 90% James Mitchell of Virginia Tech is not going to go back to is not going to go back to school. Will be in the NFL draft. Obviously, he's not going to be a day two pick like a lot of people thought he could be. It's with the injury and with the question as to whether or not he's going to be able to work out at all before the draft, you're looking more like a late round pick. But again, you know, could be good value, especially with the the depth at the tight end position. A guy like that could be good value. Needs to uh, brush off some of the rough edges of his game, especially his blocking. But he's a real good pass catcher who's shown the ability to get down the seam, and that's what they want these days at the tight end position in the NFL. Yeah, there's uh, there's value to be had across the entire tight end position. But if the injury keeps him from working out, you know, there's a that's a late round flyer that you know you'd look at. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but guys that were injured that you know didn't get looked at. But if you do your due diligence and you're confident in the guy and his ability, it's he seems like that guy that can just. You won't hear about him until April, and then maybe you won't hear about him until rookie minicamp and OTAs, and all of a sudden he starts blowing up on the scene for his team if he's healthy enough. So he's got that ability. I love his ability up the scene like you mentioned too. So another guy who has all the receiving ability and all the just all elusive guy, former Nebraska wide receiver, current Kentucky receiver, Wandell Robinson. In the midst of a fantastic season, 94 receptions, 1,164 yards, I believe seven TDs. I'm told it would be a shock if he does not enter the draft. So you look for Wendell Robinson to enter the draft in what is a rather weak uh, year for receivers after two historically uh, or historic years, I should say. Uh, Being compared to Rondell Moore of Purdue, although he doesn't have uh, uh, Moore's vertical speed in the sense that a little bit smaller but incredibly quick, can create when the ball's in his hands, very good running after the catch, offers some return ability, probably a day three pick unless somehow he you know runs incredibly well and incredibly well for him is going to be in the low four fours. Wandale, uh, Wandale Robinson, the, the wide receiver from Kentucky, looks like he's destined to enter the draft. 
it's unsurprising when you have this sort of career year with a finally a quarterback who can throw the ball. He had uh, Adrian Mar- Martinez for a couple of years in Nebraska. Couldn't quite uh, stretch the field with a guy like that. So it's interesting to me. I, I like it. We're going to see the other Nebraska receiver too as well. I think that's a name that people need to know as well. Samori, Samori Toure, the yeah. guy that we've, we've liked and talked about, but I'm sure we'll talk more about him as well. So let's get back to Big Ten country. We talked a little bit about him earlier. We mentioned we would – you know, discuss him here. David Ojabo, Scotland's own, Aberdeen's own David Ojabo, or as Gus Johnson says, Ojabo. We talked about him in, in your mailbag as well. The question came through, Will, what's the feeling? Is there a feeling that he might enter the draft? Because we know Hutchinson's in. We, we Do we know? Is Ojabo going? What do we have on David Ojabo for Michigan? Yeah, the feeling is he's going to enter the draft. Now, that is the opinion of people around the Michigan or familiar with the Michigan program that Ajabo will enter the draft. I've not, as I said in the question and answer, the mailbag, I've not spoken with anybody close to the camp, but the feeling is Ajabo will enter the draft, and why not? You know, I know everybody loves Aiden Hutchinson, and Hayden Hutchinson is a lot of fun to watch, but when you watch Ajabo, Ajabo, in my opinion, is more explosive, he's more sudden, he's more quick twitch, which is a, 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 a term that people like to throw around as you get closer to the draft. He plays with much more of a natural violence to his game. Doesn't have the same uh, body of work as Hutchinson because he's more of a, he's a newer guy, but he doesn't have the experience, but I, I absolutely, I, I don't think there's a, as much of a difference between Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabu as people think. Uh, I, I think Hutchinson is good, very good, but he beats people a lot of times with power. I mean, he just bowls over the offensive tackles, which is you, you can do that on Saturday. It could be a lot tougher to do that on Sunday. Ajabu is just a natural explosive athlete with tremendous suddenness, can play off the line of scrimmage. But the bottom line is people in the know around there say they think that in the end Ajabu will enter the draft. It's good to hear. It's a stacked edge class. And so, it's, <laughs> you know, the only reason I think to come back would be to – be the be in the discussion with Willie Anderson for the top edge rusher next year, but that's not enough for me. If you can get into the first round here, or even the second round, you're, that yeah. means you're terrific in this class. So I, I like the comparison to Hutchinson because Hutchinson, you said bowls over everybody. Ojabo's got that versatility. He's got a couple of pass rush moves. Hutchinson's got them too, but it's Ojabo seemingly can can rush from standing up from down in three point. I mean he's. He's terrific. These that spin move and like yeah, he say, quick twitch and bend. I think just completely overused terms that people like to use come January through April. But yeah. sure, he's got him. But he's also got so much more. And I I love the violence you mentioned to his name too. Like it's, I mean they're awesome. They're both winning and they're both terrific. And there's there are reason probably one of the bigger reasons that Michigan is in the Big Ten title game against the top next the top the next guy the top prospect the top center prospect i believe on almost on the consensus i think he's i've seen even the term generational talent at center mm-hmm. thrown around for tyler linderbaum yeah look there are some terms that are thrown around that I, I don't agree with and that's one of them that how many generational talents can you have at every single position every single year but linderbaum from Iowa, he's good he's very good he's about the only redeeming quality on this iowa offense though yeah, you're hearing a lot of that from New York Jet fans here in the New York area because the Jets are desperate for a center. Uh, the, what I'm hearing from Linderbaum is he's interviewing agents, which is which is a sure sign he's going to enter the draft. And why not? Uh, I've not heard that he's definitely going uh, to enter. But when you hear that a guy like that at this point in time is interviewing agents, it means he's narrowing, narrowing representation down. 
and it's probably going to be sooner rather than later, uh, his announcement that he's going to enter the draft. You know, if Iowa wins on Sunday, I'm sure he plays the season through. If I um, on Saturday, if Iowa doesn't beat Michigan, does Linderbaum play in the bowl game? That's going to be something to keep an eye on. I like him. I don't love him. I mean, as I said, there are Jet fans here in the New York area who think that they should use him with one of their first, uh, one, of, one of their two first round picks, and both of them look like they're going to be top ten picks. I'm going to hedge my bet on that right now. I got to do a bit more work on him. Uh, obviously, you know, a very, very good center that has been real good the past two years will be the first center selected, and then it kind of falls off the edge, uh, falls off a cliff at the position, regardless. The feeling is Linda Baum is interviewing agents very, very likely to enter the draft. It's unsurprising, unsurprising when you're, when you're the, the best center best in college center football, football and you're largely seen as the best center in the draft class. It, it would be surprising if he came back. It'd also be surprising if they don't win, which I don't think they're going to on Saturday, that he plays in whatever Gasparilla Bowl or whatever bowl game that they're going to be tied to. Uh, come the middle of December. So to me, go, you know, get out there. Don't risk injury in a game that doesn't mean as much anymore. I was actually discussing this, why bowl games are lacking in significance in the the name image likeness. I mean, it used to be a way for these college athletes to get some money in their hands or, you know, it was, if it was the champ sports bowl, champs was giving these each player $500 gift cards because that was part of the sponsorship deal. But the NIL nowadays, they don't have to make that. They don't have to go to these games to get some some sponsorship deals or sponsorship money. So we're going to see a lot of the bowl games, I think. I mean, it, it became popular a couple of years back to to skip out on bowl games. It's just going to become more and more prevalent as we go through. So that's a side note, not what we're talking about. We're now talking about NFL draft news and, a, I believe, a player who is not going to enter the draft but potentially follow his head coach a little bit south from Lafayette to Gainesville with Makai Garner who should become eventually the former Louisiana cornerback, Makai Garner. Yeah, funny story behind this is I was actually in a bar in Queens on Sunday after I dropped my daughter off uh, at the airport as she was flying back to Ohio, to Columbus to return to Ohio State, very disgruntled that the team had <laughs> lost the day before. And I'm watching the 1 o'clock games uh, in this bar in Queens, New York, while I'm eating and I'm talking to people and I'm getting a couple of phone calls from people. And this was before the official announcement. They told me that it looks like Napier is going to get the Florida job and he's going to take Makai Garner with him. Now, I put that up in a, as a tweet. It blew up. The Florida fans who usually hate me because I say <laughs> I like the LSU secondary better than the Florida secondary. Or the LSU secondary has produced more talent than the Florida secondary. They all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, turned tide and, and now I'm their favorite guy. But the word is this, is the word is Napier is looking to take Makai Gardner with him to Florida. As we've uh, documented and reported on this show a couple of times, Gardner is graded as a sec- by some scouts as a day two prospect. He's had a real good year, played uh, excellent against Liberty and their quarterback Malik Willis. But I'm hearing all along it's very likely he's going to return to college. And if he returns to college, why not go from Louisiana and follow his coach to Florida? You know, it, you know, now all of a sudden he's playing against big time talent in a big time conference, and he could potentially go from a day two pick into a first round pick, which some people think he's got first round potential. So the word right now is, as I kind of put out on, on Twitter uh, on Sunday, is that Napier is going to look to take Mekai Garner with him from uh, Louisiana to Florida. I think it's probably going to happen. 
to me, if you're going to make one move, coming back and playing for Louisiana again probably wasn't the move for him. But if you want to cement yourself from day two to day one, a surefire top 32 pick, leave the Sun Belt, go to the SEC, have a great year in the SEC. I mean, the Gators have been known to put a couple of first-round quarterbacks. They're probably going to have another one this year as well. Great at Vernon Hargraves didn't really pan out. Uh, that's a different story. Uh, but, I mean, the – it's it's a springboard. It, this is gonna be a springboard to a day one pick for him. So I like it for him. I like it for Napier too because after Kyrie Elam, the secondary is a little bit of a mess right now for Florida. So he's gonna he's got his work cut out for him there as he heads a little bit south. But uh, he's got one game left, and this yeah. is a perfect transition. It's like we almost writ, wrote these to transition perfectly. Oh my gosh, the week fourteen conference championship preview. We're going to discuss two here specifically. I'm uh, I'm on record. We got uh, previews for every game at Pro Football Network as well. So check out all the previews. We previewed all 10 conference championship games. There's also a sneaky, fun uh, COVID-delayed Cal versus USC game uh, with some, eh, not really anything, anything significant out there. But there's still another game on. So there's 11 games this weekend, which would be fun. Uh, but the Sun Belt Championship game, we get Appalachian State versus Louisiana. Napier is coaching the game. Uh, and Makai Garner, I believe, is playing as well. So we have, you know, those two. We have Levi Lewis versus Chase Bryce, specifically App State, Louisiana. What are we watching? Yeah, Makai Garner, obviously, we've spoken about that. But uh, Louisiana also has a real nice, uh, another next-level prospect in the secondary by the name of Percy Butler, a uh, safety who's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's smart, he's tough, and he's instinctive. Appalachian State has five NFL-type receivers. I don't know that any of them are going to be drafted, Corey Sutton, Thomas Hennigan, Jalen uh, Virgil, Malik William, and Christian Wells. These guys are not the fastest guys in the world. They're more possession, timing receivers. They're all very reliable. Hennigan and uh, Sutton have been uber uh, productive. Uh, Sutton may get drafted if he runs well. I have him as a priority free agent. Hennigan's going to be signed as a priority free agent. Jalen Virgil's going to be a priority free agent who also doubles up as a return specialist. But watching uh, the Louisiana secondary, and specifically Makai Garner and Percy Sutton, try and guard these four guys, that is something that NFL scouts are going to keep an eye on. They, that's interesting to me. I was, I was pulling up Sunbelt information, Sunbelt stats for the career because Jalen Tolbert is third in Sunbelt history. And I saw it's, it's like Thomas Hennigan's been there for five years because he has been. He's, I think, fifth or sixth all-time in Sunbelt receiving yards. He also returns punts. I think he's got like six touchdown passes as well because they throw the little uh, backwards reverse wide receiver throw. I believe he has some uh, some quarterback in his high school playing days. So Hennigan is one of the all-time Sunbelt greats. He's he's terrific to watch. He's a fun player. Free agent, obviously undrafted priority free agent. But it wouldn't surprise me if a guy like him sticks as a sixth receiver or a practice squad guy for a few years in the NFL because he's just a guy you want to be around and a guy you want to play with. So, and Corey Sutton's a little bit taller, slightly faster. Corey Sutton, I believe, uh, opted out last year because of COVID, came back and had a real good year in uh, 2021. Uh, and, and the thing is, you know, with Hennigan, if he was the only guy there, his stats would be even even greater. But they've got a, like I said, a slew of receivers that uh, Makai Gardner and Percy Sutton are going to have to figure out a way to cover. Yep. And I'm interested to watch uh, Levi Lewis and I believe his final game. On the, well, they have the bowl game, obviously, but the final uh, meaningful big-time game for Levi Lewis, Louisiana's all-time touchdown pass record holder, breaking Jake DeLome's record this year. So then we go out west. Yep. A rematch of two weeks ago, three weeks ago, in which 
Utah did a Michigan to Ohio State. Utah just completely dominated Oregon up front, ran over them. Tavion Thomas playing well. This The offensive line at Utah looking like the best in the Pac-12 and up there in the best in the country when they are healthy. Nick Ford's back at center now, so he was playing out of position for a couple of weeks, but he, ever since he's been back at center, this Utah offensive line has been terrific. But we're we're watching. Do the do the Ducks stand a chance, or is this a game in which Mario Cristobal comes back and you know fixes the mistakes and and you know the Ducks should be favored? I don't I don't know. Utah is the current Vegas favorite, but the Pac-12 title game. Utah is rolling. I mean, Utah is on a mission, and you can see it from that uh, really from before the Oregon game. But but they are rolling. Listen, the guy to keep an eye on here is you. You talked about their offensive line. Keep an eye on Devin Lloyd, the Utah uh, linebacker. A guy who is rising up draft boards, I think is a, from what I'm hearing is a solid first round choice. Is going to go much earlier than people expect. Oregon, they like to mix it up. They like uh, so quarterback design runs. You got Travis Dye there, who's a real good three down back as a ball carrier, pass catcher, and blocker. They don't use the tight end all that much, but the way that Oregon likes to mix up and mix and match their offense and, and basically throw things around. It's going to be a challenge for Devin Lloyd, but Lloyd is, uh, he's a terrific blitzer up the field. He's very athletic. He goes sideline to sideline. He can drop off the line and play in space. So watch number zero on the uh, Utah defense, Devin Lloyd, because he's a guy that a lot of people don't talk about. They will, as we get into March and, and everyone else starts to get the notification or starts speaking to people in the league, Devin Lloyd, I think, is going to go a lot earlier in uh, April's draft than people are right now projecting. He's a semifinalist for the Lot Impact Trophy for the Benaric for everything. He's he probably should win most of those awards. He's been tremendous this season. I love the uh, the hit around the world a couple weeks ago too, where he just came up out of nowhere and rocketed from the middle linebacker spot to I believe it was Travis Dye actually that he just planted coming through the middle a wide open hole and all of a sudden it was closed because of Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd should have won that 2019 Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year award that went to Evan Weaver because Evan Weaver had about a billion tackles, but they were all eight, nine yards down the field. So uh, anybody can make those tackles at that point. But uh, sour spot, because I thought he should have won that award. But yeah, that's a, it's a rematch that I think people aren't talking about as much, because I think they're just under they're undervaluing this uh, this Oregon-Utah game. I'm, I'm tremendously excited to watch it. Tremendously excited to watch all these games. It's the last weekend of, of full-time college football, where there's multiple games on in a day. We have bowl games, and we'll have the college football playoff. But yeah, it's, this is this is it. This is uh, this is going to be a fun one. So, looking forward to this weekend of college football. Looking forward to uh, as we transition then into full time draft centric news, in which everybody starts catching up to uh, between the ashes and what we've been talking about for the past four or five months. So that was it. Week fourteen conference championship weekend is on the rise. Thanks for listening, as always, for Tony Pauline. I'm Cam Miller.